to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Our text, which will be the sermon portion of our meditation this morning, comes to us from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of Sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through his resurrection from the dead. Dear fellow redeemed, the famous physicist Albert Einstein is often quoted as having said these famous words, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. It's pretty easy for us to sit here this morning and agree with that statement because there's no shortage of examples in history and as well as in our own lives. If you look at World War I, you'll see that millions of soldiers died because all of the nation's leaders kept throwing wave after wave of infantry across open fields towards heavily entrenched enemies with machine guns. A lot of people died, because that's almost always what happens when you send men over an open field towards enemy machine guns. They get shot. High school students continue to get their phones taken away in class when they feel the need to text or check Facebook. Every time it happens, they become incensed, angry, that the teacher would resort to such disciplinary measures as separating a teenager from their phone. And yet, they shouldn't be surprised, because that's almost always what happens when you get caught using your phone in class. It gets taken away. Sports bettors have been betting against Tom Brady, arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play in the National Football League, for years now. He's too old, he's washed up, he's gotta fall off eventually. But just last February, 
He went back to his 10th Super Bowl and won his seventh championship. And once again, sports bettors looked foolish because that's almost always what happens when you bet against Tom Brady. You lose. You'll notice that all of these examples, though, happen almost all the time. There are, in fact, very few things in life that are certain. In our text for this morning, we see something that happened pretty routinely in the Old Testament. God providing for complaining, doubting Israel. Because one thing in life that is certain is God's love and patience for sinful mankind. And so our theme for this morning will be God provides in trial and strife. He provides despite complaint. He provides in spite of our circumstances, and he provides respite for his people. May the Spirit bless our study in his word. If you haven't noticed already in your own Bible, many Bibles have a helpful little section at the bottom with footnotes that can be pretty helpful as you're reading through Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Sometimes they'll point the reader towards parallel passages elsewhere in Scripture, sometimes towards slight variations in spelling or word order in the original manuscript, and sometimes they will define Hebrew or Greek words. Because especially in the Old Testament, there are names that have very significant meaning. If you go to your own Bible and you check the bottom of the footnotes here in Exodus 17, you're likely to find something that I found in my Bible, that the words Masa and Meribah in the Hebrew translate to trial and strife, or something very similar. And it's hard not to see why Israel would go with names like that. This was a place where they endured a trial. This is a place where there was strife among them. The place where they were encamped, we're told in verse 1, was a waterless wasteland. And so Israel did what it just about always did when faced with hardships and difficulties. They complained against the Lord. Reading from verse 2, Therefore the people, therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Which is an interesting thing for Israel to say, an interesting course of action that we look at here in our 21st century armchairs. Because if you look just previously in the book of Exodus, God had already delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. He had already delivered them on the shores of the Red Sea from Pharaoh's pursuing army. And just in the previous chapter of Exodus, in chapter 16, the Lord provided food for starving Israel in manna from heaven. You see, God had an excellent track record of keeping his people safe, provided for, and alive, despite their complaints. And now, faced with another trial, they expected 
different results. Yes, he delivered us from those other problems, but this one, this is the one where God abandons his people. Well, let's get out of our armchairs for a second, though. What problems are you facing this morning? What trials has the Lord led you to recently? Maybe you have a difficult family situation with a particular member or otherwise, and you don't think that it can really be resolved. Maybe you have bills that are piling up and you're suffocating under the financial burden of those. Or maybe you have that one sin that you wish you could stop, but you just keep going back to it. Or you have that one big sin that, let's face it, if we're being honest, just doesn't look very forgivable, does it? What do you expect to happen? Well, judging by the way that we lie awake at night, paralyzed by uncertainty, and frantically scramble to try and throw together some sort of plan to bail ourselves out of our seemingly hopeless situations, you would think that our God is not a God of provision at all. When he said in Psalm 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me, he must have been talking about someone else, some other Christian who is better than me, who has smaller problems than I have. We complain. Why would you do this to me, God? I thought that you loved me. What should be an opportunity for us to glorify God by trusting his promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you, becomes rather an opportunity to blaspheme with Israel, wondering, is the Lord among us or not? But God, in his infinite patience and mercy, provides despite our complaint. You see, one of the biggest contributing factors to the doubt and the uncertainty that we feel is a lack of vision and awareness. God says in Isaiah 55, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And when we can't see God's ways, when we can't think God's thoughts, when we can't take our finger and trace the intricate ways in which God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, the called according to his purpose, when we can't see those things, we get antsy and doubtful. We look around us, and because we can't see God physically there, we conclude with Israel that he isn't there. They looked around them, they saw no water, they felt their own thirst, and they concluded that God had broken his promise to Abraham, to them, and to us. They would perish in the promise of the Savior with them. But God would provide despite their circumstances. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. No water from a spring? Not a problem for the creator of heaven and earth. A rock will do just fine. Are your 
circumstances unfavorable? Well, from a spiritual standpoint, the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Just as the children of Israel had no water to sustain them, you and I are utterly lacking in the righteousness department because of our sin. And we cannot work to manufacture this righteousness because our every thought is already stained with sin. Isaiah 64, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. It's pretty unfavorable conditions that we've placed ourselves in, isn't it? But God provided for Israel, and he provides for us as well from a very unlikely source. Just as God provided water from a rock, God provides righteousness for us through his only begotten Son. You see, never in our wildest imaginations would we think that God, almighty and holy, could ever love us, shameful, sinful people. And even if he did, certainly not enough to sacrifice his own perfect Son. And yet, that's exactly what he did, because God provides in trial and strife. He provided for Israel's physical thirst, and he provides for our spiritual thirst in Christ. A wonderful parallel to bring into connection with this account comes to us from Jesus' words in John chapter 4. Jesus, speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. When the guilt over our sins becomes so great that the only logical conclusion is that we must go to hell and suffer, for all of those sins, God's sacrifice in Christ washes over us in the crimson flood so that we are now clean in the eyes of God. Because God has sent us his Holy Spirit to create faith in our hearts, to believe and trust his promise that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, we are now clothed in Jesus' robes of righteousness. He went to the cross for your sins. He suffered the death and hell that you deserved, and now God's standard of love has been set. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were God's enemies, he gave his own son into death and hell for us. How shall he not, with Christ, also now freely give us all things? He who has already given us everything, how can he withhold anything that we need? When we come to trial and strife in our lives, we first look to that sacrifice, Jesus' death on the cross for our full atonement. And then we can look in history, as we did earlier, and we can look in the history in our own lives, because let's face it, our lives very often seem like a series of unfortunate events. Putting out one fire, only to have two more pop up, managing crisis after crisis, and yet, 
here you are. Here you are, alive, well, provided for. Here you are, drawn back to the word, to hear that comforting message that your sins are forgiven in Christ. Your soul, which though all hell should endeavor to shake, Jesus says, I will never, no never, no never forsake, because God provides respite for his people. Now when we face trial and strife, we can do so with confidence and a sure hope instead of complaining and doubt. When God sees fit to allow trials to enter our lives, we know that he is using those to bring us closer to him so that we may even more lean on his almighty power and come to him in every circumstances so that we can rejoice in all circumstances. We have the privilege of calling on God in prayer, and we have the privilege of returning to him in thanks when he, once again, pulls us through whatever problem we might be facing. When we find ourselves in hardship and strife, may we glorify God by trusting his promise and by sharing that trust and those promises with others so that they too might come to know the peace which surpasses all understanding. Because just as he did for Israel, God provides in trial and strife. It would be insanity to expect anything different. In his patient grace, he provides despite our complaint and our sin. In his powerful might, he provides in spite of our circumstances, no matter how dire they may appear. And he always, always provides respite for his people. Just as he has done in the past, just as he is doing now among us today, and just as he will do in the future for all generations of believers until that last day when he comes to bring us to our heavenly home with him. There we will enjoy that ultimate respite and finally come to know fully the love of God and will endlessly praise him for it. In Jesus' saving name. Amen. Please rise. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.